You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording, and I'm Ben from Dreamlot Studio. How you feeling, Ben? Feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. I uh, I joined the hype. I invested some money in cryptocurrency <laughs> on Friday. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. I've been wanting to for a while, and I did I did some research. It's funny, but. All the guys in my one band, Nafel, are so into this stuff right now. So they're constantly messaging me about it. Check this out. And so I was like, ah, I'll throw a couple hundred bucks into it. What the heck? It's a very prog metal guy thing to do, I feel like, invest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not surprised the Nafel guys are, are into that. Yeah, I agree. Interestingly, we had somebody in our Facebook group post about NFTs, which I just listened to a podcast about NFTs. Mm. Um, I think you read the same post that I did, and the, I read I the, the I read the title. I did not read the article. <laughs> okay, it's uh, it's an interesting concept. I'm still grappled, just like with cryptocurrency, which is so hard to understand. I mean, it's been around for well, the idea has been around for over a decade, right? It's, I think it first came about in 2009, 2010, after the financial crash yeah. nfts are related to cryptocurrencies i guess because of this concept of the blockchain technology or the ledger and um, they basically let you create uh the way the best way i heard to describe was it creates scarcity in a digital in the digital domain so like the reason things are expensive it, physical things are expensive is because there's a limited number of them so if like yeah. an x-men comic original number one issue there's not that many of them and a lot of people want them so the the value is high so this creates that sort of scarcity for digital things so you can own a digital thing and you own it and there's only one of it um and people are making the case that this is going to affect music because now you can own like you could physically own like this is the cassette that michael jackson yeah. recorded thriller on and i own it and it's valuable you can do that with digital things and people are saying that this is going to be great for artists and including musicians what what do you uh you have any thoughts on that at this early stage in the game or not yet i do have some thoughts i think that i think that that would be great if you know musicians could find a a more fair way to get paid because let's just face it like whether it's because of outdated laws or whatever like the streaming revenue is just not appropriate i feel like for mm -hmm. what people are putting putting out there and i think the hope is that oh this time the music industry can get it right and we can actually pay people fairly and oh, i hate to say this but i feel like you know history is going to repeat itself and that it's just going to be this fad that Either people aren't going to be able to monetize in the way they thought they could, or some people will, and then people will just move on to the next thing. So I, I just, I very much have a, you know, um, I have a healthy amount of skepticism for it. But that being said, I think it's totally fair enough to like look into it to see if it is a thing. Just kind of the same way I am with the cryptocurrency. Like I am not 
taking my retirement money out and investing it all in Bitcoin. That would be stupid. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to throw a couple hundred bucks there. And if, you know, uh, Bitcoin takes off again to the moon, hey, that'd be awesome to make a little bit of money off of that. But I'm not going to, I'm going to hedge my bets is what I'm saying. So you're speculating. You're actually investing on it on speculative speculatively saying that the value will go up. You're looking at it almost like an investment opportunity. Um, yeah. I think the, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the concept was that it was a currency that kind of behaved independently of any government. Anyway, we're getting way off into the weeds. Yeah. Here. Way off topic, but, but that's cool. But, but NFTs, I think, I think I'm also skeptical. I'm also not sure how it's going to play out, but in theory, here's how I could see this working. You're an artist, you make a recording. You can put your recording on streaming services, but you can also make an NFT of that recording so that there's one official version mm. and you can sell that to your dedicated fans. Um, hopefully not just your mom, you know, like somebody who, who you have a relationship <laughs> with, who loves your music, who maybe was listening to your song during a pivotal part of their life. And then they want to own a piece of that and they'll be willing to, to pay handsomely for that. Um, the other analogy I heard was like, you could buy a Fender Stratocaster or you can buy like the Fender Stratocaster that Jimi Hendrix used. And mm. that one is worth more and you wouldn't just necessarily play it, but you have it and you can tell people that you own Jimi Hendrix Stratocaster. So that's, in theory, that's how it could work. And the other cool thing about NFTs that I didn't realize was that you could, when you set it, when you create an NFT, you can adjust certain settings and you can say, for example, um, every time it gets sold in the future, you can get a cut of that sale oh, interesting. as the creator. So think about this, like you're an 18 year old Picasso and you painted something and you're not famous yet. So it's not worth a lot. So you sell that for 200 bucks, but then 40 years later, you're super famous and somebody can resell that painting for for million dollars. Well, that doesn't do you any good, but with NFTs, you would still get a cut of that $4 million yeah. sale. So that's some of the cool things about it. But yeah, whether it'll take off or not, time will tell. It could be like Beanie Babies. Like if I own something that's collector, I want it to be a physical thing that I can hold and touch. But maybe one day we'll just completely um, separate our attachment to the material world and we'll just yes. all live in the cloud. <laughs> exactly. But, Once your consciousness is in the cloud, you'll change the way you think about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that is true. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, well this has been a very interesting uh, intro to the episode. Our most but... interesting intro ever. Hopefully, this is not the first episode of our podcast you're listening to. Um, yeah. Let's get back on topic here. So our, our episode today is called uh, Dynamics Part 1. And uh, dynamics, wow, what a what a topic. And that's why I think it's going to have to be a multi-part thing. It was, first of all, we if you've done any research at all on production or mixing or recording, you've undoubtedly ran into some of these terms like compression, compressors, expanders, limiters, de-essers, gates. All these things are different mm -hmm. forms. The thing they all have in common is they're all dynamics processors. And this is a very sexy, very nebulous topic because everybody loves geeking out on like compression. Compression is so cool, but it's hard to hear sometimes and you have to really train yourself. And so it tends to be this kind of sexy, mysterious thing. And we're going to, today we're going to really 
lay down a good foundation for you to understand what these dynamics processors do, how they work, and then we'll talk about why you would want to use them. And then in some future episodes, we'll get into the specifics of like what the settings are and what the differences are on specific types of dynamics processors. So this is our foundational um, first principles episode, and it should give us a really good base. Yeah, I think this could be very helpful for people just getting into recording to kind of understand these fundamentals before you blow a bunch of money on buying a whole bunch of compressors that you don't need that somebody else says that you need. So I, I just love understanding. I've things never from done that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that a little bit, but yeah. um, I just love yeah. understanding things at a fundamental level. And it's it's sometimes hard to find out that information in in the recording world online. Like it's hard to get to the fundamentals. So I'm happy that we can kind of break this down for you guys. I totally agree, man. I was just th talking to somebody about this the other day. I feel like YouTube is like a vending machine. It's like, it's hard to find good nutritional food in a vending machine. It's all junk. Like top 10 best compression tricks is junk food. We all love yeah. junk food. It tastes good. It can fill you up for half an hour. But like, if you want good nutritional stuff, you're not going to find it in the, in the vending machine. So this podcast, we do give you tips. We love giving tips and talking tips and tricks, but we also want to give you the good, you know, good nutritional meal that you can, uh, exactly. can keep you full for the day. So um, there's, I guess, starting really simply, what are dynamics? You know, dynamics is just the difference between the loudest part of a signal and the quietest part of a signal. So this is true in anything, but we're talking about audio. So visually, if you picture, you recorded some signal, and you can see a kind of waveform and it's got big spiky peaks somewhere and it's got some quieter peaks. That is the dynamics, what you're visualizing there. It's the difference between the big peaks and the small peaks. So a more dynamic signal has a bigger difference between the big peaks and the small peaks where a less dynamic signal has a smaller difference. And there's two types of dynamics that we can talk about there. The first is macro dynamics. And the way I think about macro dynamics is like, if I'm looking at uh, my signal, my waveform, and I zoom way out, then I can see like, oh, maybe it's a song, maybe like the choruses, I could see are mm. really like fat and sausage like, and I know those are going to be loud. But then the intro is these small little spikes and peaks, and I know that's going to be quiet. That is an example of macro dynamics. So I'm comparing one song section to another song section. I'm saying one is loud, one is quiet. And like another analogy would be like on Google Maps. I'm like, I'm way zoomed out. I can't see the streets, the small streets, mm -hmm. but I can see the highways kind of. Hey, how do you think about macro dynamics, Ben? I think, I think in the same way. I'm, I'm not, never really in my brain, maybe until today, <laughs> thought of differentiating them in different ways. But I, I love the idea of, you know, zooming in and zooming out. You know, you got um a macro view and a micro view, essentially. I guess for me, since my background is chemistry, micro, I think of the molecules that make up something. And then the macro view is more, ah. you know, the animal itself. Yes, so, yeah. I love that. That's another great analogy. So yeah, you, you, you segued nicely there. The next, where we're going next is microdynamics. Microdynamics is we're zooming way in. So now we're taking our Google Maps or we're taking our animal and we're zooming in to really the street view level. 
And so for our audio, what that means is let's say we're zooming in to the chorus of our song and we're looking at the individual kick drum hit and we're looking at how loud is the song in that kick drum hit as compared to between the kick drum hits, right? Mm. So if that's a big difference, then that's a lot of microdynamics. If it's a small difference, then it's less microdynamics. What I, I've mentioned this guy before, one of my favorite mix engineers of all time is Andy Wallace. He's mixed like Rage Against the Machine. Um, he did Helmet, some early Helmet stuff. He did mm. the Seven Dust album Home. He mixes very, uh, with a lot of microdynamics. Like his drums are very punchy. And um, there was something that the loudness war, which we've talked about on our loudness episodes, kind of hurt because people started squashing dynamic range more and more. And so this is where we will get into towards the end. This is a foreshadowing of why compression can actually be bad in some cases, can actually damage our microdynamics. This is where we get into like, why do we care about dynamics? Well, macrodynamics, like Ben, I'll, I'll throw that over to you. Like, why do we care about macrodynamics? Like how loud one part of the song is to another part of the song or how loud one part of the waveform is to another part of the waveform? Yeah, great question. So, um... You might not, uh, you might not care as much if you're listening to something in a quiet environment. If you're at home on the couch, it might, uh, it might not affect your listening experience that much if you've got a a big range in your macro dynamics. But let's say you're in a different context. Let's say that you have headphones on and you're walking on a busy street in New York, mm-hmm. or if you're in the car and you're jamming out to some music on your daily commute to work. Uh, in those situations, the difference in dynamic is going to greatly impact your listening experience because the very quiet parts are going to be barely audible over the hum of the road when you're driving mm. or the hum of the noise or people around you. And then when your chorus hits, if it's that much louder, if there's a huge range in your dynamics, you've already turned up the volume to hear the quiet part. And uh, all of a sudden, you're just getting blasted by the difference in volume so you'd have to turn the volume down and most people they don't want to spend their their drive or their walk turning their volume up and down while they're listening to a song like i mean it's not that we're lazy that's just not an enjoyable experience i want to be able to digest you know a music performance in a way so that i don't have to adjust the volume knob like we want enough dynamics so we can tell the difference between parts of a song and you know that it can take us on a dynamic journey but we don't want so much dynamic that it's distracting yeah absolutely that's a great example and the other thing on a like a track by track context you could think about a vocal track where like if i have a screaming vocal in the in the chorus and a whisper vocal in the verse well I need to fit that in macro dynamically into my song with this without having to do the same problem where like I turn my vocal fader up so I could hear the verse and then the chorus is clipping, right? That's going to be a problem. So that's a that's a great explanation of why we care about macro dynamics. Mm-hmm. Why uh, why would we care about micro dynamics? So on that like the difference between the part where the kick hits versus in between the kick hits. Why do we care about that? Yeah, kind of for the same reason, only in a in the micro scale instead of the whole macro scale of the song. So, and you talked about the kick hits in general. So, as a mixing engineer, uh, I feel like that's one thing. Drums in particular, uh, 
that I really focus in on with the microdynamics, especially if it's a a live perform performed part by a drummer, because a lot of times uh, each individual kick hit or snare hit, it's not at the same volume. They're at different mm -hmm. levels. And so in the same way how we want a less distracting experience for the listener in the macro dynamics, we want a less distracting experience for the listener from our micro dynamics and each individual kick hit. Like it would be distracting if all of a sudden a kick hit was 10 decibels louder than every other kick hit in the song. It would kind of grab your ear and make you think, why was that kick hit so much louder? Was there a mistake? Or was it like that on purpose? And, and so I think that if you wanted to do something like that in your arrangements on purpose, that's totally fine, but you're going to elicit that reaction from the listener. It's going to be distracting. It's going to take you out of, the, out of the moment from maybe just experiencing the music and instead focusing more on the, you know, the dynamics of what's happening. Mm. That's interesting, Ben. I, I, I didn't have that in my notes. But to me, that is almost like another example of macro dynamics. Like if you're, if you're, if your drummer was hitting, you know, with different levels of velocity, um, and you have some really loud parts and some, or some really loud hits and some quieter hits, that to me, uh, that's interesting. Whether that's micro dynamics or macro dynamics, somewhere in between. But, but yeah, I, would, I take your me. point there. I was thinking about it even more from the standpoint of like um, how impactful, right? Or how uh, like a, a drum part is. And the analogy that I was kind of thinking about this morning was if I'm punching a punching bag, right? And I can punch a punching bag, but I have to start with my fist six inches away from the punching bag. Well, I'm going to get some amount of force there. And I could think of that mm -hmm. six inches as like my dynamic range, and you're going to hear some kind of thud. Compare that to if I can start with my fist two feet away from the punching bag, right? Yeah. Now I can get more force, and I can get a more impactful thud. And to me, that's kind of like a nice analogy for microdynamics, where I can think about, well, if I can, if I can make that kick start at a lower level and then punch out through the mix, I'm going to get a more punchy sound, which could be good or bad depending on what I'm going for. But that's kind of how I was thinking about microdynamics. Yeah, that's a great point. It's That's not a perfect analogy though. <laughs> just just because, and it's fine. We're not gonna, I don't think we are gonna find perfect analogies. But the reason I say it's not perfect is because uh, with a highly compressed dynamic signal from your example of a kick drum, it's gonna, it's gonna be that punching from six inches away, but still sound like it was a big wind-up punch, just not felt like it, right? It, um, it yeah, well, it could, it yeah, it could, it could do that. <laughs> you see what I'm saying, though? Yeah, I do see what you're saying. Yeah, but the the concept for me is, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of these are when we get into in future episodes the the specific parameters and how we can actually shape the sounds that mm. we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so so the other, uh, I kind of think it, it's helpful maybe to put some musical terms to this. So uh, you know, microdynamics, we we are, I already mentioned one, which is punchiness, and you know we, there are different ways we can control that. Another good example of a musical term that applies to what I would consider microdynamics is sustain. Mm. 
right? So something like sustain, if you picture me plucking a guitar string and letting it ring out, picture recording that, you would see initial spike when I pluck the string and then it would decay down slowly until I can't hear it. Now, if I Mm. want to increase the sustain of that note, I can bring up that the decaying sustain portion and make it louder. So like, for example, with my, if I was doing it manually with a fader, I could have my finger ready on the fader. And right after that initial pluck, I could start slowly bringing up the volume of the fader and that would increase my sustain. That's another example of how we're con- we can control microdynamics to achieve something musical. Great example. I like that. Cool. So bringing it kind of home to how do we control dynamics, there's really only two things we can do. We can either increase the dynamic range or we can decrease the dynamic range. And we can, we can increase the dynamic range in one of two ways. We could either take the loud parts and make them louder or we could take the quiet parts and make them even quieter, right? Now the difference right. in both of those cases, the difference is bigger. And the same thing with decreasing dynamic range. There's two things we can do. We can take the loud parts and make them quieter, or we can take the quiet parts and make them louder. Both of those things decrease uh, the dynamic range. And I already talked about how we can do that manually with a fader. Like you picture with a kick drum, I could wait until the kick drum hits and then quickly bring down my fader and then just bring it up in time for the next kick hit, right? And we could do this manually in theory with automation, Mm -hmm. but it would be very hard to do it accurately and precisely and quickly and consistently enough for what we typically are trying to achieve. And so because of that, we use dynamics processors instead to get this accuracy, speed, and consistency. Well said, So give us some examples of what the different dynamics processors are that we are knowing or used to hearing. What are some examples? You talked about the two overarching types compression and expansion. So I could further break this down, and there's more than this, but you could further break this down into four categories that you've probably heard before. So we have a typical compressor for compression, a limiter, which also does compression, but just at a higher ratio. We've got an expander and a noise gate, which is also kind of an expander in a way, but it's working kind of in the same way that a limiter works to a compressor, just in the opposite way, where anything below a certain dynamic level is just silenced. You don't hear anything. Right. So yeah, we'll get into those specific types probably in a future episode. So don't worry if you're confused about that. But what Ben said is 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 true. There's we said there's only two things we can do. We can increase dynamic range or decrease dynamic range. And a, compress- a compressor decreases dynamic range, compresses it, and expander expands, increases dynamic range. So that's why mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right, Ben. There's really only two types of things, but then how we set the parameters on these two different types, you know, we could set the parameters on a compressor a certain way to make it a limiter. We can set the parameters right. on an expander a certain way to make it a gate. And there's even some other ones that um, I have listed here that you may be familiar with, like transient designers are basically compressors and expanders. I never even you may have heard thought that of term. that as like a type of compression, but I, I guess it is. 
or expander. I guess it's more of yeah. an expander. Oh, it could be either. Way. Yeah, depends it could be either. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it depends how you set it. So transient designers, uh, duckers, which is like not a common term, but that's basically like a type of compressor or gate. Uh, even like a de-esser is a, is a type of mm -hmm. compressor. So all of these things are ways to control dynamics. So yeah, I, the, my funny story is when I was when I was working on my second ever solo album, which was the first time, the first project I had worked on that I had even heard of a compressor. The first album I did, I didn't know any of that stuff. I was just plugging <laughs> into my computer line input still. Um, I was doing all this research on forums, and this was long enough ago that there wasn't a ton of great information out there. And I stumbled on this post where this guy was saying, hey, I'm planning on uh, using, I'm planning on uh, mixing vocals. And in my chain, I'm going to use an EQ, a compressor, an expander, a de-esser, and a limiter. And he was asking what order he should use these things in. And so of he course, had everything there in the one, in the one he, chain. He listed all of them. <laughs> and uh, of course, everybody massacred this guy because they were like what do you you know use your ears or whatever the <laughs> the classic yeah but it's true right these are all tools and we have to understand some of these things to understand when it's appropriate to use which tool i do want to mention one disambiguation quickly because this can also get confusing specifically with the term compression the difference between compression when it comes to dynamic range versus data compression. Because mm. a lot of times you see both of these relating to audio, but there's a huge difference. So when we're talking about, we, what we've just been talking about is compressing dynamic range. Data compression is something like taking a lossless audio file that's like a dot .wave format and applying data compression to make it an MP3, which reduces the file size by doing certain, um, applying certain processes, removing certain bits of information that are less important. There's different kind of encoders or algorithms for doing this, but data compression is very different than dynamics compression. And so when you hear something like, oh, an MP3 is a compressed file format, that doesn't mean somebody ran your audio through a compressor. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> you know, that's demystify or just talk about at a high level, these four different types of dynamic processing that I brought up. Um, the, the compressor limiter, noise gate expander, maybe talk about what they do and maybe specific, some examples of applications. And I love your story that you just told Vadim because uh, it illustrates two things. One, I, um, Two things. One, and now we have video. I have to actually make sure I'm giving the right you have hand to signals. Make sure you put up the right number of fingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. Yes. So the first thing it demonstrates is that you really need to have a reason for using a dynamics processor uh, before just slapping whatever into your chain of what you're recording. There's really no need to just have all four of them in your signal chain unless you have a specific need for all four. You know, one thing can do the job if you need some type of dynamic uh, control. The other thing that it also at the same time um, kind of shows is that there's nothing wrong with using all four if you have a need for it. So 
I'm just hoping that maybe we can demystify a little bit and give you guys a way to think about, you know, what dynamic processor should I reach for in each individual situation that I find myself? Because that's what's going to give you the most power whenever you're recording, mm. knowing how each of them work and knowing what to pull from. Anything to say about that? Nope, I think you're absolutely right. Cool. So, yeah, just diving into a compressor uh, first. So, uh, a compressor basically is something that takes the dynamic level that you're passing audio through it, and it reduces the output volume by a certain ratio amount. So, let's just say that we set a compressor ratio to 3 to 1. So that means that for every decibel of audio that's going in above a certain threshold setting in this compressor, that the audio coming out of the other end is only going to be a third of that volume louder. Yeah, for every decibel above the threshold. Above the threshold, yes. You get you only hear you only get a third of the decibel output. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, for a ratio like that. So, let's make it even more specific. Let's say that we have some audio that's coming through your system at negative 9 dBFS, full, uh, the FS standing for full scale. So let's say we have a compressor that's set with a threshold of negative 10. So that means that one decibel of that audio is going to be affected by the compressor. Because the compressor is affecting the audio and reducing it to that 3 to 1 ratio, the audio coming out the other side of the compressor is only going to be uh, negative 9 and 3 quarters of a decibel. You know, we're thinking, um, we're thinking in negative decibels here. So instead of yeah, it being at negative 9, it's going to be negative 9.75. So the compressor has reduced that uh, volume output by 3 quarters. Or no. Yeah. One third. I'm sorry. I yeah, 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 yeah. Your number was yeah. So it would be negative nine point six seven or whatever. But exactly, even Something like that. We already kind of mentioned this, but the way I I even like to think about it is picture you have like a friendly robot in your studio. As I love the friendly robot example. So mm -hmm. I think I use that for MIDI as well. So you have a, this robot that has its robot hand on the fader and it's going to help you mix. And so you can tell this robot to do certain things. And this is kind of where we get into the parameters of a compressor. You could, and again, we'll, we'll probably save the detail, detail stuff of compressions for a different episode. But at a high level, we're able to tell this robot a couple of things. We're able to say, hey, at a certain point, if the loudness of, of our signal exceeds a certain level, I want you to move the fader down at some speed. And then I want you to slowly or quickly bring that fader back up to where it was. And keep doing mm -hmm. that every time our level crosses a certain threshold. And that's where we get into what a threshold is. So the robot's just sitting there and it's looking and it's, okay, every time the signal crosses a threshold, it's going to bring the fader down and then eventually back up. And how much it brings the fader down is what Ben was just mentioning, which is the yes. ratio. So the higher the ratio, the more it brings the fader down and then it'll bring it back up. So at a very high level, that is what a compressor is. It literally mm -hmm. is an automation 
of a volume knob. And that is, in fact, how compression was invented or the purpose for which it was invented was just a way for us to automatically be able to control a signal level without having to manually sit there and, and move the fader up and down and drive ourselves crazy. So keep going. Sure. I was going to give some examples of or some instances where you might want to use a compressor, but I'm going to talk about limiting real quick first because it's so closely related to compression. So limiting is basically almost exactly the same as compression, only at much higher ratios. I think I read somewhere that uh, anything with a 10 to 1 ratio or higher can be considered a limiter. I don't know if you've heard that or maybe 20, 20 to 1. Um, yeah, so that's, higher, yeah. Uh, makes sense. That's one way to think of limiting, but additionally to that, a lot of limiters, they work in a way that's kind of defined as brick wall limiting. So instead of it being a very high ratio, it actually stops the volume of whatever track you are processing through the limiter from getting any louder at all. It just caps it. And well, the, so no the matter- The ratio is effectively, on a brick wall limiter, the ratio is effectively infinite. Okay. That's another That's way of saying that too. It. Yeah. Uh, so no matter how much input volume, this limiter will not, a brick wall or infinite ratio limiter will not allow any audio to go louder than that. And that's what I have the most familiarity with is brick wall limiting and not just high ratios of compression. Mm. So maybe let's, maybe we could talk about uh, the difference between compression and limiting and maybe some examples of why you would want to use each one. So just real quick, and I don't want to get into too much detail because maybe we can leave the further details for part two of our part two, of or our maybe even dynamics part three. Process. We'll see how many parts we need. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so just real quickly um, to throw out some examples, uh, compression compression is very helpful for drums uh, because they're so dynamic. Clean guitars specifically, I tend to use compressors a lot on. Uh, electric guitars or acoustic guitars that just have very little distortion or no distortion because they also have the most dynamic range versus a heavily distorted guitar which the distortion is kind of acting like some type of dynamics processing in and of itself um, I always record bass DI's through a compressor whether that be analog compressor or digital compressor and Vocals are very helpful with some compression. Can you think of any other instances where you would use compression, Vadim? Oh, man, I don't know. You, you can use compression on, on just about anything. Um, I, I, I want to correct, actually, one thing we said earlier, and then maybe I'll, I'll come up with some additional uses. But my uses okay. are going to be less source-based and more, I think, use case-based. Okay. But the one correction I'd like to make is that <clears throat> I mentioned that a compressor is a tool used to decrease dynamic range, and that is not necessarily true. You can use a compressor to actually increase the dynamic range as well. And likewise for expanders. And uh, I think that's worth, that's important to clarify here because this is something I was confused on 
at, at some point. So if you picture your, your signal, your, you have your big spikes and your small spikes, I can use the compression to clamp down on the big spikes and decrease mm -hmm. my dynamic range. But I could also set a compressor in such a way that I clamp down on the small spikes and keep the bigger peaks where they are. We'll talk about that in part two and increase my dynamic range. And likewise with an expander, there's a way I can use an expander to actually decrease my dynamic range. Same example, I have a big spike and let's say then I have some small spikes after it. I can use my expander to expand the big spike, which increases my dynamic range, or I can use my expander to make the small spikes bigger, expand the small spikes, in which case I've actually decreased my dynamic range. Hmm. This is all gonna be about settings. But I wanted to I wanted to clarify that before talking about specific use cases. I'm actually um, we're actually going to make a cheat sheet, a compression cheat sheet available to you guys that has some of these specific uses. But the way I think about compression is way number one I use compression or expansion is to control uh, macro dynamics. So it's to take mm -hmm. my my vocals and make sure that the chorus isn't way louder than the verses. So that's way number one. Wayne, or like what, what Ben's example was, like acoustic guitars, which can be very dynamic. So there's very big spikes and there's very quiet parts. I might want to compress that dynamic range down to make the whole performance more uniform. So that's uh, use number one. Use number two is to make things punchier Right, this is where we're going to, to actually increase our dynamic range. Maybe I want to make a kick drum hit extra hard. So when I think hey, I want to, I want this to be punchier, more impactful. Usually, compression is one tool I will reach for. Another way, another use is sustain. If I have a guitar notes or a legato playing or something like that, and I want to increase the sustain of the notes, that can be another cue that I want some compression applied. Then an interesting one that we haven't mentioned yet, this is an interesting byproduct of compressors, is compressors can actually add certain harmonic content. This is going to be more for part two, but there are times when we use a compressor for the flavor of it or for whatever mm -hmm. color it imparts on the sound, even um, irrespective of the dynamic portion of it. So that's another time I'll reach for a compressor. What are, what are some other ones for you, Ben? I was just thinking of um, side-chaining compression as a completely different thing, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds as far as that goes, but maybe just to mention that some people use compression in a way that it adds a, um, it adds a percussive type of rhythmic effect. And you can, you can side-chain one element to add compression to another element in a recording or a mix. So you can get really creative with this stuff. And yeah. that actually would be worthwhile talking about in, in part two, but that's just Absolutely. another way to use compression. And I think what you were saying there is, yeah, there's another, another great use for compression is movement. It's just to create some kind of, mm. I mean, at its most extreme, we're talking about like a pumping. If you think about like an EDM track where it's, mm, 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 there's yeah. a pumping effect, right? But there's other more subtle uses of that where you can create small movements that create a kind of excitement. So these are all, this is why compression is such an interesting topic, even though at its core, it's such a simple thing. It's really just an automated volume fader. 
Uh, but you can do so many interesting things with it that it becomes this uh, this this wonderful topic, which uh, we will get into some of those intricacies and details and specifics in part two. Uh, anything else to add for our part one dynamics overview, Ben? I don't think other than maybe to foreshadow for episode two, um, as much as I know about this stuff, I'm always learning. So I learned something very interesting about expanders. Maybe it's not that interesting to you. Maybe you already know this, Vadim. But at least uh, I thought I knew how expanders worked, and I didn't. And so just researching this episode helped me to understand how expansion works better and maybe how to implement it more on my recordings and mixes. Very cool. Yeah, expanders are an interesting topic. And uh, yeah, the um, one interesting tool that I have that, that surprised me is a tool that is an upward compressor. Okay, and mm. this is where an upward compressor is kind of like an expander. An upward compressor decreases the dynamic range by making the quiet parts louder and keeping the loud parts the same. And there's some very interesting uses for, for these different tools. So again, this part was all about just understand what we're talking about when we're talking about dynamics and understand some of the reasons why we care about dynamics when we're planning our productions. We've also talked about some of the tools that are available and at a broad level, how they work. They're basically just fader automations. Then mm -hmm. next, we're going to get into the applications where we're going to think more about how, uh, what do we want to do? Like, what are the things we, we say, I want this to sound like something else. And uh, first is understanding that. And then next is recognizing which tool to reach for to get the sound impact you want. And then the last part of it is actually how to dial in the individual parameters on those tools to get that desired effect. So much of that is going to be saved for part two. And I'm sure we're going to do a lot of episodes on this, Ben, because it's such a it's such yeah. a deep topic. It's like recording guitars in a sense where you could just talk about it forever, right? Exactly. Yeah. As with most of our topics. So I'm excited to dive into part two or 10, whatever we find ourselves doing next. Yeah, part two of 10. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun. I hope you got something out of it. Until next time, guys, remember to check out our uh, DIY recording ebook, or it's called Digital Recording Basics. To download that, it's totally free. Just go to howtorecordyourband.com. You can download the PDF and get a couple of bonus emails as well on some gear recommendations. And Ben, I look forward to doing this again with you next week as we do every week. Until next time, this is the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Have a good one. Awesome. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. 
And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.